Today, we're diving into a topic that's been making waves across industries, how artificial intelligence is transforming the traditional nine to five. But before you start picturing a dystopian future of robotic overlords and no jobs, let's just hit the brakes and take a moment to reconsider. What if we said that AI is not here to replace us? It's here to empower us, that it's not a threat to our jobs, that it's a gateway to a more productive and fulfilling way of work. In this episode, we uncover the hidden potential that lies beneath the surface, and we'll explore how AI is becoming a valuable collaborator, a tireless assistant, and a bridge to achieving more in less time. After all, AI helped me write this script in under 10 seconds. We discuss how AI is reshaping our daily grind and opening doors to a brighter, more productive, and happier future of work. It's also a future, though, that presents a unique set of challenges for leaders and organizations. After all, machines can process vast amounts of data, make decisions, write poetry and make art, and even anticipate trends faster than any human could dream of. That's a future we have yet to understand a future full of questions for leaders of corporations. So I think every leader is probably asking that question, right? How does this kind of impact my company and in what ways? And it's almost, you know, the, the most challenging part of that, that question today is that we're kind of looking at an uncertain future and the change and the pace has been so fast. That's our guest today, Doug Van Spronson, the CEO and co-founder of Verset. Together, we're going to unravel the complexities and opportunities that come hand in hand with AI's arrival in the workplace. My name is Sarah Plankert, and you are listening to Iterations, the podcast. We talk to the brave, unconventional Canadian leaders and innovators who are making it their business to reinvent, or shall we say iterate, the way we work. Let's make change together because we can absolutely rebuild these systems and structures that humans invented in the first place. We're a company that's really focused on helping established businesses launch, build, and scale new digital ventures. So what that means is we're typically working with um, established companies in their space who are looking at the future and saying, I need to make a change or we need to you know, make a investment in how we are looking at the future, kind of moving us from point A to point B. And we want to bridge that gap. And so Verset provides strategy, the design, the engineering, the technology um, to help build net new digital products like applications, websites, platforms, et cetera. And then sort of the organizational support to see those through to success. So I'm sure all of us have been involved in some sort of digital initiative at some point in time. And so much of the value of that work sort of accrues through operating it. Where is your business at right now if we were to zoom in on a day-to-day basis in terms of how often you use AI? So within the existing workflows that we have today, how can people uh, use their tools, these new tools that are emerging to either make their life easier, uh, make it more productive or interesting, uh, or make it better? And so I think within that category... There's quite a lot that we're doing at Verset for our different people groups. So let's say our uh, front-end and back-end engineers. What, what's coming out with uh, different augmented tools for coding, 
quite remarkable. So like co-pilot being one, you know, we can save up to 30 to 40% of our time in code and actually writing code just through using these tools to kind of check and balance and help sort of a super assistant. So there's a really pragmatic, clear demonstrated value in just using these, these kind of tools alongside workflows. But then as you kind of abstract away from some of those really clear use cases, we found it to be very hyper-productive for our, like our design and research teams as they're sort of using like ChatGPT as an example to sort of round out their research process. So using it as kind of a research assistant to ping and, and transpose and digest different pieces of information. So one of the kind of cool tools that's recently been released and we've been using quite a lot is uh, uh, ChatGPT's code interpreter tool, which allows you to upload a PDF or a set of data and ask questions about it. Extremely powerful for a of research. So, you know, when we're doing some analysis on a competitive set or a particular market, you know, we'll ingest company data into that platform and just ask natural questions. You know, what's the growth rate in this industry? What do the CEO say about this? You know, you can put in five annual ports and ask what's most important about them. Things like that. So on the research side, it's been quite uh, transformative. So within that bucket of like employee experience, I think we've just kind of tasked our teams with, hey, where can we jump in and utilize these things where it can add the most immediate value? All right. Awesome. So there's from an employee experience perspective, it can help us make our jobs easier. We can be more productive and maybe even like make our work more interesting. What else are you seeing around AI in terms of maybe like a, like if we zoomed out and, and looked like at an industry level, how does that look? Are there sort of competitive dynamics that are shifting? So are you more or less susceptible to change now? Are there emergent characteristics that can be really challenging. So a good example of this, you know, we have a client that does voice transcribing as a service, right? AI is meaningfully changing how that organization will have to evolve and, and what types of services it renders because that's quickly becoming something that AI can do very well. So that's a very clear and obvious example. But in other industries, it's hard to predict. And so I think kind of looking, casting forward and saying, well, as most of these tools get better and stronger and more capable, are there parts of my you know, business model that are impacted by that? And it could be how you generate revenue or how you charge for it. For example, if you're a fees for service time business, maybe you can get things done more productively if you use these tools. And from a competitive market perspective, eventually the market will probably sway to you know, getting things done faster. Well, that's not necessarily the greatest thing if you are a fee for service uh, model, right? I mean, faster is not always better. So you might want to think about the implications there as an example. So that's sort of like the, you know, short to medium term view on just kind of shoring up and assessing how this impacts um, your business. So that's really what we've been doing within our world is to say, you know, what is the, what does a great service experience look like over the next five years? And how does that change? And I think we're seeing a world that changes quite a lot. Well, and I'm hearing that your work has a strong technology future orientation aspect to it. So I'm wondering, you know, how necessary did you find this decision, I guess, or was it even a decision to embrace AI in your own workplace? Every every year there's something to focus on, right? And I think leaders kind of get tired of the next new thing discussions. Like I think people's eyes kind of roll when they hear things like, oh, blockchain or these types of web three or these other kind of catch catchy things that become the thing for a while. 
uh, and and suddenly every organization is talking about them to some degree. I think what's different here is that this is much more of a platform shift than a technology shift. And what I mean by that is, of course, the underlying technology is sort of unlocking this. So the underlying technology being sort of large language models and transformers sort of enabling natural language interface with large pieces of information. That That is a technology that's new and has really yeah, been... Yeah, because I didn't understand forward, any right? of those words. <laughs> <laughs> so this is well, new maybe, to me. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're all them. kind of catching up to it, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of what's interesting. But, but what is probably different about this one specifically is I think it's much more akin to when, say, the internet kind of came upon us versus when, say, mobile was. Just to kind of give you some some differences. So like okay. the internet has broadly impacted every company on some level. Like it's either changed how you've done your internal operations or it's changed how you market yourself or it's kind of changed how you you know run your data through the cloud, et cetera. There's been an impact. Versus mobile, which has been a tremendously large shift. We all use our phones all day, all the time. But that impacted different businesses and sectors in different ways. Lots of businesses don't need an app, for example. It's not that important. Other businesses, it's the whole business. I think when I think about generative AI as a category, which is kind of a dangerous thing to do, it's such a big thing, but let's just kind of use that term. This is one of those ones that will affect every business in some way. It's almost about the time horizon question and the depth to which it will. That's why I think in this case, it's worth taking it a lot more seriously. So kind of when you ask the question, like, why is this on the table? Does it make sense just because we're, we're in that space? I think we actually spend a lot of our time convincing folks not to go and pursue the shiny new thing because oftentimes it doesn't support the strategy directly or it can be done in a different way in this case we're saying no we should actually probably thoroughly explore this together because there are likely implications that you want to get on top of and some of them require action some of them don't so as an example we're already seeing this you know most cloud enabled tools like a microsoft office at the most simplistic they're all embedding like kind of AI superpowers into all their apps. So you're going to benefit as a company just by using tools because they're all getting stronger. And so that's sort of like a, a net benefit that we all get to participate in and likely not see any competitive advantage for them, but you are going to be able to do new things better and well. And that's kind of great. But then there's this other piece, which is like active steps that you'd have to take. And that's more of the unknown. And I think that's where we'll see leaders sort of wrestling with, you know, how do I make the right decisions to ensure that that future state is unlocked in in the right ways and in periods of unknown or kind of uncertainty typically the best bet is to make a lot of small bets and sort of experiment a little bit and start playing with these emergent things to sort of understand um, how they can impact uh, your future a lot of the work you've done over the years at Verset is understanding technology and which ones to pay attention to and which ones not to put energy into. And this one's one where you're saying, yeah, it's this is going to be worth it. This is going to change and shape the way we interact. So I'd love to journey into your office, into a Verset work setting and start to understand what's happening within your own organization and what I've been curious about and what I've been learning, because as you noticed, I don't know a lot of these words, is AI's kind of been running in the background of our life for a while already. 
And it's almost, and this is my language, maybe hopefully it makes sense to you. Like to me, it's more coming into the foreground. Like it's, it's in my face more. I'm seeing it and I'm can be more purposeful about it. So I'm wondering if we go back in time a little bit to your office space, like where did it come into the foreground with Verset? Like, was there a pivotal moment, like a tool or you're talking about generative AI where it showed up and you started to say, hey, let's let's play with this more purposefully. So you're you're absolutely correct that artificial intelligence as a category has been around for many, many years. And really in the last couple of years, many of big seminal moments kind of went by on unpassed like people weren't right uh you know guy running around in the streets excited to to read you know read the the latest paper on transformers and what <laughs> sort of unlocked it to public consciousness was really open ai's decision to, to publish chat gpt which i think provided that wow moment for a lot of people when they conversed with the computer in a way that they thought they always could one day and it was just so different than you know fumbling with siri or <laughs> trying to get something to work in Excel. It just felt very elegant and powerful and interesting. And so I think that sort of then bursted into the consciousness. But behind that really is just this large language model enablement, which was something that wasn't known to be the answer to a lot of these questions and proved out that it was. And really what that means is like, you can think of these tools as really just applying a predictive value to what should be next in a sequence. And so that translates into words. And so when I ask it a question, it's predicting what my question says and then going through its massive, you know, what they think is tri- trillions of parameters and guessing or anticipating what the next word should be to give you a response. And I think that was always theoretically interesting, but pragmatically it's proven to be very fascinating. So when that kind of came out, we as much as anybody else said, wow, that's, there's something interesting here. Um, even though that we've been working with machine learning, computer vision, and all these other built block tools with our clients for many years, you know, we've, we've had a data and analytics plot practice ever set for uh, over six yes. years. So this is, the tools aren't necessarily new, but I think for a lot of people it exposed and, and kind of unearthed some different opportunities. And but a simple one would be a lot of times businesses are ran on reports and reports are complex and difficult to generate. Well, if a you know a properly tuned large language model can you know ingest that information, which is now very simple and easy to do in many ways because these tools have advanced so quickly, they don't you don't need somebody who can jump into a BI tool or start scripting in Python and do a bunch of work to ingest that information. You can just say, "What were the sales like over the last three years in our Toronto office?" and it'll just give you the information. Oh, can you put that in a chart? You know, compared to the previous month, done. Right? It's it's unlocking this ability for more people to do complex things. And I think that's what's really provided this moment where it's like, huh, okay, if we're able to do more things in more intuitive ways, what does that give us from a, a decision making capability? Does it give us some competitive advantage? Are we able to kind of change how we do our business in material ways? All of those things are kind of a lot. And so that, that was sort of the moment for us internally was to say, wow, like if we're actually able to do 40% more code over time, that's not realized every project, but it's likely that that'll start to become the case. Well, how do we kind of build and create great product teams with that knowledge? Can we, can we increase timelines? Can we get things done faster? Can people do more things within a time frame or 
or is it higher quality or what does quality insurance look like? All these different pieces, right? This just kind of opens up these different questions. So that's really the ones we're wrestling with internally. Where do we kind of place our, our biggest bets on what we think will be most impactful? Okay. And I just got to call out the abundance mindset in that. And then would love to compare it to a lot of the scarcity mindset. What's going to happen to jobs? Like what are we losing and that fear? So what would you say to people who are kind of coming in with this, this fear about AI compared to your abundance? Like how, how would you, how do we bridge that gap? When something is new, we're human beings. Our default is to be, to be scared. And to be worried about bad outcomes and to kind of look at things, say, well, what if, what if, what if? I think though that history kind of tells us that in most cases, the the bad scenarios bend towards the mean. They're really never as bad as we predict or anticipate. And yet there's been tremendous things that have been unlocked by these new and nascent technologies. I think there's lots of harm that have come from the internet, no question about that. But comparatively, you know, the good that's been created through that has been absolutely remarkable category or a platform like generative AI, I think the opportunities vastly outweigh the the negatives for, for, for most individuals and companies. How have you been iterating and, and learning and experimenting internally in Verset to understand all that's out there and leverage it to its best capacity? You know, one of the, the first things we did when, when we started thinking about like the impacts for us, so this is just like internally, uh, is we appointed somebody, uh, her name is Stacy, to be sort of our internal czar on this topic. And part of that kind of role as defined in which charter was to really just generate and create enthusiasm for experimentation across our different teams. So let's get into the, the dirt and just try things. Let's, you know, work into these tools because we, we didn't feel comfortable ever sort of, you know, suggesting or advising teams to do embark on some journey that might take some time or investment or, or energy without sort of what we would call like dog fooding ourselves. Right. So that means kind of like you, you want to eat your own dog food. It's the same idea. Like you want to kind of use the tools that you understand. And so that's something that's sort of been a core part of our principle. And so we, we kind of said, Hey, this is, you know, if you have a question about this, talk to Stacy and and we kind of guided that. So that's been ongoing. I think that's been a really helpful conversation driver. Um, we did some small things, like we set up channels within our Slack environment so that people could post interesting news because a lot of people wanted to talk about these types of things. So we wanted to centralize that um, to have those kind of conversations. Uh, we actually did launch a podcast as well to talk about with other leaders exactly this topic, like how are you thinking about these tools? How are you doing that? How are you engaging? So I think just by immersing ourselves into this information environment that that's been super helpful and sort of building up our own internal repertoire. What are some of the bumps you hit along the way? Like those bumps in the road as you're bringing it internally that you had to overcome, if any, I don't know, maybe you're flowing, maybe, maybe it was an easy ride. No, I can't I imagine. So. Though. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the, one of the biggest challenges right now is so let's make it really like non abstract. So a practical challenge that organizations are going to be facing is like, what stack do I use? Right. So let's, let's go back to the example of, I have a bunch of internal data and I'd love to be able to kind of search that with just typing natural language chat. So I want to be able to put something in a box and get an answer. That question requires you to sort of 
properly architect all of the information in your company to a certain standard and then overlay some sort of platform on top of it. And it could be OpenAI's platform, it could be Cohere's platform, it could be an open source alternative. And there's all these different like options available to team considering this. Right now, it's so early that the right answer to that is not clear. <laughs> and so mm. we've we've you know really seen just how challenging like the, the whole industry really wrapped its arms around particular tool that kind of enabled you to interface to these these um, different platforms it kind of emerged as like the one that everybody's using is called Langchain. It's still very popular but it's quickly try to prove it out that maybe that's not the best way to do that and so we spent a lot of time kind of experimenting with this tool that may not be the right right i think i think we're going to see a lot of that and so this is where kind of trying to make the bets that you're making uh, as small as possible can be very helpful because you can maintain optionality. And a lot of times in uncertainty, when you're kind of driving towards an uncertain future, it's helpful to have optionality and, and, you know, action yields information, right? So if you're doing things, you're going to learn more and you're going to be able to apply that to different types of outcomes. So that's that's really our our kind of internal focus, but there's been bumps on that where it's like, oh man, we've gone deep down this hole. Doesn't seem like that's interesting, actually. Or we thought this would work this way. Oh wow, it actually doesn't. Or, you know, we thought this would be pretty easy. We whipped this up in a few days, and now this is actually a multi-month effort. <laughs> Things like this. It's a it's kind of just that reality of experimentation that's that's challenging. Yeah, and I don't know how comfortable many workplaces are with experimentation in general, the time loss on experimentation or the quote unquote failures that come with experimentation. Yeah. I'm not sure everybody's there, right. To be willing. It's not, I don't think we're well-practiced in it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And yeah, permission to fail is kind of one of those really tricky things. It's easy to say tricky to implement, especially when it comes to you know, busy, successful companies who don't have time to just throw at different initiatives and things. None of us do, right? So I think one of the ways that we try to um, tackle that head on internally is, so, you know, our service working with clients. And so if we want to experiment with something, oftentimes we want to experiment with it with our clients as part of the project work. And we do that with open acknowledgement to say, hey, this is kind of unproven, but would you be willing to try to test this with us? And oftentimes that can be a shared kind of risk and experimentation. And so that's one way to kind of bake it into the project work, kind of learn on the, as we go. Another way to put up guardrails around this is to sort of spearhead either by, you know, putting it in a project container to say, okay, we've got a three month period and we want to test this X thing. Let's go for it. Um, or by just making it smaller. Like, again, you know, if, if you kind of said to your team, okay, we got to come up with our generative AI strategy for the next three years. I mean, the chances of you getting anything right are pretty much zero. But if you say, let's go through our kind of issue log or whatever we're tracking on things that aren't working well in this particular department, let's just look at marketing. And oh, okay, what's on that list? Well, we really want it to change how we're recruiting people because we need to hire five more people and that's been going really slow and we're not sure how to do that. Well, that could be a really interesting spot to be like, should we be trying some of these new you know, recruitment tools that do generative sorting of potential candidates and and why don't we experiment with that? Just try one of the tools, see if it works. Well, that's that's kind of you utilizing something new to try to solve an actual problem, not trying to use something new to go out and do something new. And I think those two things are very different. And oftentimes teams will focus on the 
well, I really want to go try to build this because it's interesting and it's new versus how do we solve the problems that we already have using these technologies. And I think cutting off the bite-sized chunks can do a lot to build momentum. And momentum is really all that matters when, when trying to build new things within a structured team. All right. So we're hearing that there's uh, lots of options to experiment and how we do that strategically in an organization or company could really help us have the right impact for the effort. What about for individuals? How could individuals experiment and is it worth our time? I'd say first interesting about knowledge work generally is that the most important part of that job is to take something that's kind of ambiguous or uncertain, like you're looking to the future, trying to figure something that needs to get done, a project, an idea, a launch or whatever, and then working backwards into the present and saying, what steps have to be done to kind of get me from A to B or to get our team from A to B. And that is the work. It's like, how do we plan, motivate, create the structure to break something down into parts and go and do something. What I find so interesting about like, even if we just look at it like ChatGPT, I think that that as a tool is extremely helpful as kind of a superpower when trying to break down tasks into smaller chunks. And so I do think that if you are a knowledge worker and you kind of agree with that definition, then it is sort of imperative that you at least consider or experiment with how these tools can help you do that job better. Because I think if you don't, you will be disadvantaged against folks that are kind of constantly doing it. And, and so that's just kind of one of those moments where it comes down to individual effort to say like, how am I, or how can I consider doing kind of parts of my day that are repetitive in ways that could be done more, uh, more effectively, or maybe more productively, or in some cases more creatively. Like, I think the creative spark one is very, very interesting for a lot of people. Like the fact that computers can be extremely creative, they can write poetry and, and, and critique art and give perspectives on things like that's, that's not the side that we thought the, the machines were coming for. It was always kind of like you would part, um, but they can. So I, I, I just kind of sparks that for me because I think there is a personal responsibility to sort of test and trial and, and kind of get some fluency in these new tools because it's likely that they'll have a, a pretty impactful way that you do work. And it might be different for everybody. So in your own office, and your own teams, have there been like some surprises in terms of how it's helped, you know, your day-to-day tasks within Versed? Have you noticed any kind of, yeah, surprises or I guess, could we call them generative AI hacks? I don't know. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, I like it. We could, we could absolutely roll with that. Yeah, I think there's been a couple of things. I mean, one of the ones which we kind of just chatted about was like how impactful it has been on the creative side of the equation. So, you know, oftentimes um, we're designing products, right? So think about like an app or a website. And that's not a place where you typically jump immediately to, oh, that's where you'd want to have a computer helping you think through something creative. But there's actually just this proliferation of really interesting tools that have emerged that help you generate different color palettes as an example or uh, synthesize new images so you know there's some incredible synthetic image generation elements that you know you couldn't just create an image before you'd either have to go find a photo or do it yourself well now you can prompt a computer and you can get some really compelling and interesting designs uh, so i think that's been kind of a surprise that we hadn't anticipated it was like on our design team that there's actually some really cool stuff that's unlocked 
so that's been that's been kind of fun. I think the other piece as well that I've been thinking a lot about is there was this um, research project that was done on patients asking doctors questions, and they asked ChatGPT and they asked a human doctor to respond through a text. And what was very shocking about it was that the evaluators drastically favored the responses from ChatGPT, hmm. which is interesting. interesting. Um, yeah. But what what was kind of compelling about that to me was that when they actually looked at the information, it wasn't that the you know advice was necessarily better or stronger. It was that ChatGPT took the time, time quote unquote, it was instant to properly articulate and walk through and explain with detail all the different pieces of it. And the human doctor is conditioned to just give you the information and get out. And so this idea that like time can kind of correlate with quality is very interesting to me in the sense that, uh, let's take a CFO example, and we've seen this with our own internal reporting, you know, to be able to chart and generate really compelling financial trends with great explanations, beautiful charts and graphs, like that actually has a quality enhancement factor that sometimes we just don't have time for. And that actually impacts the deliverable, you know, in terms of maybe how you communicate that important budget change to your boss, et cetera. So that's been surprising internally that we've seen that because these tools can do a great job of creating quality and and really just time to write something properly, whether it's an email or what have you, that can have a real big impact on, on how it's perceived by the receiver, which is really interesting. So it's kind of this, inverted way of looking at it would be to say like if if i had twice or even 10 times the amount of time to spend on the delivery of the information not just gathering it what difference might that make and i think we've seen that it makes quite a big difference well and as you share all of that what i'm envisioning in the office is people aren't sitting or sitting around twiddling their thumbs they never you know it's not like no, oh my gosh like, the jobs do. are disappearing there's always stuff to do it's that what i can produce and give to my organization, to people on my team, to each other, to myself is better quality product with the limited time I already have anyways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is amazing. Like, I, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think that's very human, right? That ultimately, if you go back to the knowledge worker example, much of our job is communication. Well, communication takes place in lots of different forms. You know, one of them is written. And so I think these tools can be extremely helpful in helping you write well-edited and thoughtful, you know, structured points of view. So you can be faster at doing that and your quality can increase. Uh, it can also be very helpful in summarizing or synthesizing, right? So, you know, there's tons of these meeting uh, recording tools that will yes. kind of record everything that's said and, and automatically create notes for you. Well, that's extremely right? helpful. <laughs> like, that's yeah, it's nice incredible. to have. Um, so, so I think those are... Kind of parts of the way that have been surprising, just like how how much of a kind of unlock that can be for for teams. You know, for me, as I'm hearing all this, and I think of my own, and I think any high achiever in the world is going to resonate with this. Is like my goals usually exceed the amount of time I have to complete them, and so I'm just thinking like, wow, how this would help me achieve more of the things that I'm motivated to see done in my own life could be exponential if I only just took the time to learn how to use AI better. Yeah, I think so. And in likely in very simple ways, I think that's what's sort of transformative about it is that um, because the primary interface that we've been talking about today is a chat box where you're like just asking questions. You can even ask the questions like, if I want to learn how to use this to write better, 
what are a list of resources to do that? <laughs> if you right. geek out of this assistant to even start the journey of learning how to do the thing you're wanting to learn how to do, um, which I think is kind of fun. And so, you know, it's, it's very much proven that any type of learning of any kind is enhanced when you have a, a tutor or somebody kind of helping you guide a process and correcting mistakes and working through things. And I think that the fact that that is true means that the tools that we have available to us today will be very powerful. Because if you want to learn, you know, how to use ChatGPT really well, well, you can kind of use ChatGPT to do that for you, right? Like, how would you explain? How can you write that question better? What's a better prompt? You know, are there things I should have asked that you would ask? Helping to self-learn can just be such a powerful way of, of kind of, I guess, advocating for your own interest and curiosity, which is, which is really exciting. All right. So as we wrap up, Doug, what's the near future look like for organizations in your mind? I think the answer has something to do with trying things and embracing some experimentation. Or iteration. <laughs> Just iteration. had to plug it. Yeah. hundred percent actually. And uh, I'll mention a story that kind of stuck with me. So have you ever heard of the game uh, Starcraft? It's like a internet, like a strategy game where you're kind of trying to battle different species and, and kind of fighting it out on this you know, terrain. But it's one of the most popular uh, strategy games in the world. Millions of people play it. And they did this academic study and they tried to figure out like what the best StarCraft players in the world, what made them great. Because they tried to think about, well, if it's a strategic game and the best players are winning consistently, then they must have better strategies. So let's try to figure out and study how they do and how they play, which I think was pretty interesting. But the result of which kind of shocked me when I read it, <laughs> because <laughs> the what they found was that the only consistent thing across all the top players wasn't that they had a particular strategy or they knew how to use resources well, or they knew how to move the players, they had great knowledge of the maps or the game. The number one thing that they all shared in common is that they had a very high APM. And APM stood for actions per minute. So the kind of great players would have like a 60 action per minute rating. The best players had like 130. So what I love about that is because actions per minute is controllable, right? Like that's something we can all do. We can try and do and experiment with more things. And so of course we don't have to use the actually actions per minute. But I love the idea that by taking initiative and action, you can gain information and that'll enable you to then unlock additional pieces of information to iterate and improve and to continue to go. And so you're not limited to your current state. And so something about strategy really has to do with what are we able to accomplish today and how can we make progress? Because there's likely some value in just doing that faster so you can move on to doing more things. All right, folks, while taking initiative for action to iterate and to improve seems like an awfully great place to pause this interview so that we can all just get out there and learn some more of these tools for ourselves. So thanks for listening in and a big thanks to Doug for sharing insights and experiences using AI in the workplace. From the sidelines, I've definitely been impressed with Versette's ability to adapt, to explore and to experiment with AI. What a great guest on the topic. We also wanted to point out that we had to use an AI tool to help us clean up the audio from today's interview, which actually had issues that wouldn't have been able to have been fixed with traditional software. So just taking a wild guess that you have some personal experiences with AI in the workplace as well. And we'd love to hear from you. 
because this is most definitely not a topic that's going away. And I'm going to guess there'll be some future episodes on as we learn how to iterate and see what's challenging us in the nine to five with AI. So drop us a note on our LinkedIn page or visit our website, Iterations Podcast, to let us know what you're seeing and what you're exploring in your AI journey. Let's challenge the nine to five because we can absolutely rebuild these systems and structures that humans invented in the first place. To stay current with the topics that Canadian leaders and innovators are iterating in the world of work, follow and rate this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to engage in dialogue? Follow us on LinkedIn or check out our website, iterationspodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.